with a sick little girl, and so there will be no kids' church this morning. Uh, so, but the good news is, is that we get to look around and see all of the little ones this morning uh, as they rustle around and try and sit as still as possible uh, this morning. So, just uh, let, we'll exercise a little additional patience this morning uh, as we uh, hear from God's word. Uh, this morning, we'll be looking at joy uh, through difficulties. Joy through difficulties. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of Philippians. Chapter 1, we're going to read verses 12 through 19 this morning. Philippians 1, 12 through 19. <clears throat> Paul is writing to the church at Philippi from a Roman prison, and this is what he says. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorium guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusted in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. But some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motive, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice, and I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, as we read this passage, Lord, may we be encouraged through our difficulties. May we see your providential hand. May we see your goodness, your kindness, even when it brings afflictions and difficulties upon us. Lord, may we experience your joy this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me ask a very simple question. Have you ever experienced difficulties, trials, and hardships in your life? If we're honest, all of us are going to say yes. Now, some of us to varying degrees. Some of us have experienced greater trials, greater difficulties, my children who are 9, 12, and 14 are going to say, oh yes, we've had tremendous difficulties. And then and as, a, as someone who's 40, and they're going to look and say, you don't have a clue. But as a 12-year-old, or as a 9-year-old, or as a 14-year-old, in their perspective, they have. And as they grow, and as they experience more hardships and more difficulties, and there are those of you out there who are in their 70s and 80s, and they look at this 40-year-old and they say, oh, you have no clue. You think that you've experienced difficulties, but we've all experienced difficulties. I look around this room and I see those who've lost loved ones, those who've lost children, those who've lost parents, those who've experienced divorce, those who've experienced mental illness, those who've experienced physical illness, those who've experienced debilitating diseases. I look around this room and I see difficulties. I see hardships. Well, Paul says... In Philippians chapter 1, 
He says there is a way for us to have joy through difficult circumstances. And I want us to understand and I want us to see the, the very thrust of the message here in the beginning of Philippians chapter 1. Because I want us to understand that Paul doesn't say, I have found joy in spite of my circumstances. Let's look at the context. Look at verse chapter 12. I'm sorry, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> he has just got done praising God, praising God for the Philippian church. He just got done praising Him, remembering how the church was planted, remembering how the church was, was started. And remember, let us remind ourselves how the church was planted, how the church was started. Paul met a woman named Lydia outside of Philippi. And then there was a slave girl who was converted. And through the slave girl's conversion, Paul was wrongfully beaten and wrongfully thrown into prison. And then out of that wrongful imprisonment, there was a jailbreak about midnight by the hand of the Lord. And through that jailbreak, a Philippian jailer was converted. And so out of these difficult circumstances, the church is born. And so Paul says, I thank God for the difficult circumstances. In verse 12, it says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He says, it is through my circumstances that the gospel has been furthered. And so I want us to understand that Paul is not saying we need to take joy in spite of our circumstances, but he's saying we need to take joy through our circumstances, understanding that it is the providence of God that has led us through these difficulties. Now, he's writing to the church several years after his imprisonment. Several years, several years after his, uh, his visit to Philippi, several years after him uh, birthing the church at Philippi. And since that time, since that time, the church has heard many things regarding Paul's ministry. They have heard about Paul's imprisonment in Jerusalem that took place in Acts chapter 22. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 21. They have heard about how the Jews sought to kill him in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 23. They have heard how the Romans moved him from a prison in Jerusalem to a prison in Caesarea to save his life, yet he was still there in prison in Caesarea for two years. They have heard how in his, in his move from Caesarea to Rome, his ship was crashed and his ship was wrecked and he almost died. They had heard about how he still found himself in a Roman prison and now he's corresponding them, corresponding to them through the Roman prison. And so this is what Paul said. He said, I know you've heard about all the hardships and difficulties and trials of my circumstance, not just how the church was planted, but my Jerusalem imprisonment, my Caesarean imprisonment, the conspiracy to kill me, the riots, the shipwreck, and now my imprisonment in Rome. You've heard about all this. Don't be discouraged. God has used these difficulties, these hardships to further the gospel. And so Paul says in a very real, very tangible, very practical way, he says the bad stuff that happened to me, the circumstances, the imprisonment, the beating, the, the, the shipwreck, all of that was God's purpose for the furthering of the gospel. That's hard. Because as we then make that application to our lives, we say, okay, the death of a loved one, 
the disease, the affliction, the hardships, whatever it may be, is for the glory of God. I want us to go to a passage, and I want us to see this. Flip over to Psalm chapter 119, verses 71, and then we're going to look at 75 and 76 of that same chapter. David, we just got done studying 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the story of David. David was a man who was, who was well acquainted with afflictions, hardships, difficulty. Saul tried to kill him for several years, and then whenever Saul quit trying to kill him, David tried to screw things up himself. David said this in verse 71, It is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. And if we stop there, we say, well, afflictions, hardships, trials are good for us. That in spite of these afflictions, in spite of these trials, God may glory. But look at verse 75 and 76. David says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness thou hast afflicted me. So who was it that was the proponent of David's afflictions? According to Psalm chapter 119, verse 75, it was God. David said, I know, God, that you are faithful and that you are right and that your judgments are righteous and that that while you were afflicting me, you were doing so in accordance with your faithfulness, in accordance with your word, in accordance with your character. In verse 76, he says, Oh, may thy loving kindness comfort me according to thy word to thy servant." So he says, God, you're good when you faithfully afflict me. Now, for most of us, this is a hard principle and a hard application to make in our lives. And if it's not, then you're not being honest. As I look back over the hardships, the, the relative difficulties in my life, it's hard for me to say, You know, it was good that my dad died. It was good that I had to endure. It's hard for me to, 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 if I'm honest with myself, to look back and say, that was good. Because God is faithful. There are times in our lives whenever we don't understand what God is doing. But we must trust that what he is doing is good and what he is doing is right. Paul understood that it wasn't in spite of his difficulties and his affliction, but it was through those afflictions and through those difficulties. And so Paul learned to take joy in those things because what if, what if God needed Paul in a Philippian jail? What took place in that Philippian jail? The Philippian jailer came to know Christ. Let's back up. Joseph is wrongfully accused. First of all, he's wrongfully sold into slavery. His brothers conspire. They want to kill him. They get talked out of killing him. They sell him to this this caravan. He winds up as a slave in Potiphar's house. And all he did was tell his brothers about a dream he had. He gets wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife. He gets thrown in prison. He gets left in prison by the cupbearer of the king. Wrongfully. But what if God needed Joseph in Pharaoh's prison so that whenever Pharaoh had a dream, 
The cupbearer could say, hey, I, I, I met a guy in prison who can interpret dreams. And what if, because of the providence of God, God had Joseph in Pharaoh's prison so that he could pull him out of Pharaoh's prison when the time was appointed for him to come to power in Pharaoh's court so that when the famine was stricken upon all of the land, that Joseph, a, an advocate for the Hebrew people, could go to Pharaoh and say, hey, let me bring all of the Hebrews here to Egypt and let us protect and let us provide for them. What if God brought Joseph to Pharaoh? What if God brought Joseph to Potiphar's house and to Pharaoh's prison and out of Pharaoh's prison for this very moment that he might save the Israel people, the Hebrew people? Now, I'm sure whenever Joseph is sitting in that pit about to be sold into slavery, he's not thinking, oh, well, God has a plan. He's going to send me to Potiphar's house, and then I'm going to to get falsely accused and falsely thrown into prison, and then I'm going to be left there for God knows how long, and then I'm going to come out, but God's going to use me to save my my people. Joseph is thinking, man, this isn't right. This stinks. But God's purpose and God's plan is great. Is greater than what we can possibly fathom. What if? What if God needed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace before Nebuchadnezzar so that he could prove his glory? What if God needed his own son on a Roman cross, bleeding and dying? If we remember the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is is praying and he is sweating drops of blood there in the garden. And he says, God, if it's possible, he says, Dad, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do what I got to do. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He said, the affliction and the difficulties are not what I am looking forward to. I don't want to do this, but I trust your purpose and your afflictions are great. And so I'm going to take joy through my difficulties. So here's the question I have for us this morning. Will you see the joy in the difficulties that God has brought you through? When we, when we complain, when we fuss about the afflictions and the difficulties in our lives. What we are saying is that my plan, my purpose, what I think best is greater than God's. Several years ago, God revealed this to my heart. Uh, I have to be reminded of this on a very regular basis. I was at a pastor's conference and the, the pastor was getting, or the, the preacher was getting up and he was speaking about, about how we in general have a complaining spirit. And, and if, if any of you are like me, you have a complaining spirit. We complain when it's too hot. We complain when it's too cold. We complain when there's too much traffic. We complain when there's not enough traffic. We, we, we drive, you, you say, how would I complain when there's not enough traffic? On Sunday morning, I'm on my way to church. And I think, where is everybody? Why aren't they going to church? 
We complain because there's not enough traffic. We complain about everything. I complain whenever my kids are too quiet. What are they doing? They're getting up to something. I complain when my kids are too loud. I wish they would just go to bed and go to sleep. We complain when our houses are busy. We complain when our houses are empty. We just complain. And, and the pastor said, whenever we complain, we, we fail to realize the sovereignty of God that, God, is, that God is sovereign over all things. And that God is providentially in control of all things. And whether directly or indirectly, God is ordaining and orchestrating all things. And, and when, we, when we complain and when we, we fuss and whenever we whine, we are thumbing our nose at the sovereignty of God. And I'm, I'm sitting in the pew and I'm saying, amen, amen, amen. And I walk to the restroom after that session. And as I go to the restroom... They have 6,000 men and everybody's trying to use two restrooms and, and there's no paper towels. They have those hand dryers. And you use the restroom and you wash your hand and you got water running down your elbows and you're standing in line to put your hands under these hand dryers. And, he, and, and, and the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, this is so stupid. Could we not get some, hand, some paper towels in here? I mean, come on, we're all sitting here. And God takes a two by four upside my head and says, you just got done listening to a message about complaining and you're sitting in a restroom <laughs> complaining about not having paper towels. We complain and we argue about, about the silliest things. And when we complain and when we fuss and when we, we show our dissatisfaction, what we're actually doing is we're saying, God, my way, my purpose, my ideas is better than yours. Paul said, I'll take joy through my circumstances. Why? Because Paul had a perspective, Paul had an eternal perspective that it was Jesus first, the gospel first. The gospel is more important than anything. The gospel is more important than his freedom. The gospel is more important than his life. The gospel is more important than his, than his reputation. The gospel is of the utmost importance. And that's why we can look back through Acts chapter 7 and we can see the martyrdom of Stephen and we can say that it was God's purpose and God's plan and it was good that Stephen was stoned in front of a young man named Saul. Because it was through that stoning, through that murder, that I believe the Lord began to work on the heart of that young man named Saul who would later run into that same Jesus on a road to Damascus. And he would say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul would say, who art thou, Lord? And he would say, it's Jesus whom you're persecuting. God would sovereignly save him and transform his mind and transform his heart and send him to a mission field of Gentiles. And so this is the question I have for you this morning. When we go through hardships, whenever we, whenever we go through difficulties, whenever we lose loved ones, whenever we experience divorce, whenever we experience failure, whenever we experience affliction to the nth degree, what will our response be? Well, I want to challenge you to ask this question. How does this further the gospel? How could this further the gospel? How does this bless others? How will this grow me? With the reminder that joy is Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. J-O-I. 
Jesus, others, yourself. And so we ask the question, when we go through difficulties, when we go through hardships, when, when life kicks us in the teeth, understand that God is sovereign, God is providential, that nothing happens outside of the, the ordination and the providence of God, that whenever Job was afflicted, Satan had to first go to Job and say, hey, is it okay that I afflict Job? He had to ask permission. That tells us that Satan does nothing outside of the purview of God. So whether directly or indirectly, God is providential in all of our circumstances. And so if God is providential in all of our circumstances, the good circumstances and the bad circumstances, we have to ask ourselves, how does the gospel, how does Jesus get glory from this? The second question, how can others be blessed by this? And the third question is, how can I be blessed by this? We must see the eternal perspective. What will God do through this affliction, through this hardships? And then I want us to see where Paul goes after this. So he says, Guys, he said, it's a good thing that I've been thrown into prison, that I've been shipwrecked, that I've been beaten. All that's a good thing. Don't feel bad for me. God has used it for his greater glory. Why? And then he explains it. He unpacks this. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, so that in my imprisonment, the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. He says, because I've been in prison, I got a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. They put me in jail. I got a bunch of prisoners that can't go anywhere. They got to listen to my story. Not only do they have to listen to my story, but the Roman guards who are sitting there, they're paid to listen to my story. And so I tell them about my encounter with Jesus. I tell them about a road to Damascus. I tell them how, how Christ from the moment we see in Galatians chapter 1, how Paul says, look, God had set me apart from my mother's womb. I was advancing beyond Judaism against all my contemporaries. And as I was growing in my faith and as I was more zealous for the cause of Christ, God saved me. He set me apart. And, and since then, I have been a witness. I have been a proclaimer of the gospel to all the Gentiles. And he begins to tell about how Jesus died for the cause of how he died for sinners and how he was buried and how he rose from the grave victorious over sin and death. And he tells that to every prisoner and every guard and everybody he comes in contact with. He says, it is good. He said, and not only that, because of my boldness in prison, it has inspired others to be bold. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. He said because they hear of what's happening to me, they're encouraged. Guys, we are encouraged by other people's stories. Most of us will leave here this morning. And most Sundays you leave and you don't remember a thing that I preached about. After about, after about 10 minutes after you get in the car, You don't remember the passage I preach. You don't remember the biblical principles. But what you do remember is you remember the stories about my kids, don't you? (laughs) You remember the story about me and my wife. You remember the story about, you know, me whenever I was in college. We remember stories, don't we? We don't remember biblical principles. Not that they're not preached and not that they don't, don't find their way in our hearts and in our minds. But we remember the stories. That's what Paul said. He said, stories encourage others. He said, they hear about what the gospel is doing in my life and through my life, through these afflictions, and they bring joy and courage to others. Revelation chapter 12, 11. And they overcame him 
Him being the enemy. And they overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb and what? The word of their testimony, their story. And they loved not their life even unto death. Guys, so many of us think that we have to know the Bible backwards and forward to share our faith. You don't. You just have to tell somebody what Jesus did in your life. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life even unto death. And so when the Holy Spirit impresses upon your heart to share your faith, you don't have to know the Roman road. You don't have to be able to quote the Bible backwards and forwards. You don't need to have gone through some evangelism class. You don't need life to be some missionary. You simply have to tell somebody how Jesus has transformed your life. That's all you have to do. And when they ask questions, I, I, I don't know. But I know I once was lost, but now I'm saved. I once was blind, but now I see. And through the afflictions and difficulties in my life, God has used those. Not in spite of those, but God has used those to bring about His glory in my life. And then Paul says this. He says, there are two sets of people who are proclaiming the gospel because of my imprisonment. He says, some of them are proclaiming the gospel out of goodwill. He says, some of them are empathetic and and sympathetic to me, and they are proclaiming the gospel, and they are are praising God for, for what He is doing through me and through my ministry. He said, but there are some who are jealous of me. And there are some who are proclaiming the gospel out of envy and strife. And they're not seeking to to grow the kingdom, but they're seeking to grow their own ministry and to grow their own name and to grow their own notoriety. And what's interesting is that Paul doesn't say, and those guys are the bad guys and we don't want to have anything to do with them. Stay away from those guys. Paul said, it doesn't matter to me whether they're running me down. It doesn't matter to me whether they're saying bad things about me. What is great and what is awesome is that Jesus is being proclaimed. Amen. And if he's being proclaimed, then it doesn't ma- what, what, what happens to me and the effects on me is irrelevant. I glory that Christ is preached. Now, church, I want us to hear this. There are other faith traditions that are different than us. There are other faith traditions, there are other denominations that are different than us. And there are people who love Jesus in those faith traditions. There are people on the other side of glory, whenever we're going to get there, and, 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 and we're going to look around, and we're going we're gonna, to, in our own arrogance, and our own pride, say, how in the world did they get here? But newsflash, they're looking at us saying, how in the world did they get here? I heard a joke a long time ago. I heard a joke a long time ago. St. Peter is, is showing, the, he's showing a, a, a newcomer to heaven around and he comes to a, a group of people who are praying and, and he says, well, who, who is that? He says, oh, those are, those are the Catholics. They're always praying. And, and, and he shows a little bit further and they come to the next group and they're, they're jumping around and they're hooping and they're hollering. And he says, well, who is that? He goes, oh, those are the assemblies of God. They are. They love the Lord. They praise. They sing. They jump. They dance. They, they are charismatic and, 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 and they love it. And then 
He comes up to the next group. He goes, okay, we have to be real quiet around this group. He said, these are the Baptists. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> There's a reality, church. There's a reality, church, that, that there are people who think differently, who, who act differently, who, who respond differently, who are, who are wired by God's design different than us. And Brother Mike Heyman at Healing Place Church, he loves Jesus. And he wants to see the gospel proclaimed. And Jonathan Stockstill at Bethany, he loves Jesus and he wants to see the gospel proclaimed. There are churches and Presbyterian churches and Lutheran churches and Episcopalian churches and Baptist churches and Pentecostal churches and Charismatic churches and non-denominational churches. And if we can agree on the major issues that Jesus was born of a virgin, that He lived a perfect life, that He died for us, that He died for sinners, that He was buried in a borrowed tomb, that He rose three days from the grave, that He ascended to heaven to prepare a place for us, and that He's coming back, the rest of it really doesn't matter. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying... that we don't need to contend earnestly for the faith, and we don't need to, to... be adamant that, that the Word of God is rightly divided, because we do. We need to contend earnestly for the faith. We need to stand firm and say there are some, there are some closed-handed issues. There are some, some major issues. And if we don't agree on who Jesus is, if we don't agree that, that, that salvation is through Jesus and Jesus alone, and, and that there are some, some primary issues that we have to agree on. But there are a lot of things that we don't have to agree on in order to know Christ and in order to fellowship together and in order to see the gospel proclaimed. And we need to stop majoring on the minors. And we need to stop fighting about the stuff that doesn't matter. And we need to get past this whole territorial idea of Christianity. Because newsflash... There's enough lost people out there for every church. And I believe that Redeemer Baptist Church is a healthier church when Woodlawn is healthy and when Crosspoint is healthy and when Estruma is healthy and when Healing Place is healthy and when Bethany is healthy and when the churches in our local community are growing and thriving And we can work together, we can cooperate together for the cause of the gospel. Because the most important thing is not that Redeemer grows and that Woodlawn grows and that Healing Place grows. The most important thing is that the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed to a lost and dying world. And we must get out of this fortress mindset and become a kingdom-minded people. Paul says, whether Christ is preached in glory whether Christ is preached in truth or in pretense, I glory that Christ is preached. And if you want to talk about me, talk about me all you want. Run me down all you want as long as you're proclaiming Jesus. If you want to fuss about Baptist, fuss about Baptist, just preach Jesus. I pray that you will never hear me from this pulpit rail on another pastor, another teacher, another preacher. 
Because Lord knows I have enough faults of my own. I glory that Christ is preached. Competition is the very antithesis of unity. Comparison robs us of our joy. When I find myself discouraged, frustrated in my ministry, it's because I've looked around and I've said, well, how come so-and-so is doing this and -and so-and-so is doing that? Comparison robs us of joy. Mom, wife, when we get on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and we begin to compare our lives, our achievements with something that is fabricated, that is not real, comparison robs us of joy. Young people, when we look at what others have in comparison to what we have, it robs us of joy. Men, we are competitive by nature. When we begin to compete with others for the affection of our wives or for the affection of of our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we begin to compete with our co-workers, whenever we begin to compete with one another. Competition is the very antithesis of unity. Hear what Paul says. He says, I'm not competing with others proclaiming the gospel. I'm not comparing myself to others proclaiming the gospel. I simply am proclaiming the gospel. And I glory that the gospel is proclaimed. So as we close, I want to ask us at Redeemer, how can we further the gospel here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to the ends of the earth? How? Acts chapter 1.8 says, and, the Holy Spirit, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's our responsibility to be a part of this great commission. How are we doing this? Instead of looking around and and fussing about how everybody else is doing it wrong, let us focus on what God has called us to do to proclaim the gospel in Baton Rouge and Louisiana and to the othermost parts of the earth. It doesn't matter what they're doing. I am glad that they're doing something. What's God going to do? How's God going to use us? How's God going to use you in your workplace, in your neighborhood? How is God going to use you to proclaim the gospel? Well, He's going to use you through your testimony. Through your story. He's going to use you through your difficulty, through your hardship. God has brought you through these things for a purpose. So that through those difficulties, you can proclaim His joy to a lost and dying world that's gone through the same thing. You have a co-worker who's lost a loved one. You have a family member who's struggling with depression. You say, God, why did, why did you afflict me? with this emotional and mental illness so that He could use your story to bring someone else to know joy through affliction.
It's my prayer this morning that as you leave, you will see the joy of the Lord through your afflictions. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you afflicted us. I thank you that there are those here who've suffered, who hurt, not for the sake that they're hurting, but they hurt for a purpose, for a plan, because you intend to use their afflictions, their difficulties, for the cause of the gospel. Lord, may our focus this morning be gospel-centric. May we be Christ-centered. Maybe this morning God has revealed to you that he is using your afflictions, your hardships, your difficulties for the gospel. Maybe instead of complaining about them, you need to thank God for them. That's a hard place to be. But God's word says that his grace is sufficient for us. His power is perfected in weakness. Maybe this morning God is revealing that the affliction, the hardships, the difficulty have brought you to a place where you need to see your your need for Jesus, your need for a Savior. If that's you, in just a few moments when we sing an invitation of hymn, a hymn of invitation, I want to invite you to come. Maybe you need to come to this altar and thank God for the afflictions in your life. Maybe you need to come to this altar and repent. Repent for your arrogance and your pride. Maybe you need to major on the majors and stop majoring on the minors. Quit comparing yourself to everyone else. Quit competing with everyone else. And rest in who Jesus is. During this time of invitation, may you do business with the Holy Spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You stand with us.